Well, happy holiday, everyone. This is John Byrne with Parts and Quants. You're listening to Business Casual, our weekly podcast. And I have my co-host, Maria Wickvilla and Caroline Diarty Edwards. Maria, as you all know, is the founder of Applicant Lab. And Caroline, of course, is the former director of admissions at INSEAD and a co-founder of Fortuna Admissions. So a few things, it's the end of the year, and what we wanted to do is to look back on the year and and discuss some of the highlights in the area of graduate management education. We also wanna look forward a little bit and uh, talk about what some of our uh, resolutions might be as pertains to our business or the business of business goals. But right now, of course, a lot of people are getting their decisions. Some are getting happy decisions. Some are getting sad decisions. Many are being put on wait lists. And a good number are getting kind of decisions from the admissions offices that leads them to wonder how arbitrary are admission decisions at the best schools. There is one fellow here who mentioned that today he was accepted at Wharton and rejected by Duke Fuqua. And that really surprised him because he thought he was a long shot at Wharton and he thought he was a shoe-in at Duke Fuqua. There's another person who uh, joined in on this discussion. This discussion is actually on Reddit, who says uh, he was accepted to Chicago Booth with a scholarship, but dinged at both Dartmouth, Tuck, and Fuqua schools that are ranked uh, well below Chicago Booth. And it goes on from there. Another person who was dinged at Michigan Ross and yet got into an M7 school and rightly says admissions is not an exact science. Another person gets a full ride to USC Marshall, gets $70,000 in discounts or scholarships to UCLA Anderson, and then is waitlisted at the University of Washington in Seattle. And it's just one thing after another that kind of makes you scratch your head. Caroline, how do you make sense of this when uh, a candidate is accepted to a school that's much more highly ranked and is more highly selective and then is actually rejected from a school that's less lower ranked? Yeah, I think there is an element of candidates trying much harder and putting much more effort into their applications for schools that are really their dream and their stretch. And and. You know, it often comes across to file readers if a school is is not um, the dream school, right? It's very tricky for candidates because you, you do have to make each school feel like they are your number one choice, even if they're not. And, you know, even if that feels a little bit artificial and the schools, of course, know you're probably applying to multiple schools. So it's a, it's, it's a little bit of a game. But, you know, far readers are very astute. They're very good at reading between the lines. They understand if a candidate is talking in somewhat generic terms about the school and, and their, their sense of fit and their motivation. And, you know, they may, the, the schools can also spot that, you know, this candidate is probably a better fit for another school, right? They may be very well qualified candidate. You know, objectively, they may have a lot of wonderful accomplishments and, you know, a great profile, but it may not be the best fit for them. There may be other schools that are um, better options and schools want to select candidates who are the best fit for them and also who are likely to accept their offer. So, you know, if if schools are recognizing that it's not the best option for them, they may be rejecting them. But I, I, I do think that often 
candidates just, you know, struggle to put in as much effort to all of their applications, especially if they're applying to multiple schools. And you know, that, that's very difficult to do. And, and that just, you know, far readers are very experienced. They, 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 they recognize that very quickly. Yeah. And the other thing is schools are protective of their yields. I mean, that is a, that's a very important statistic that's, uh, that's looked at because what it does mean is when you accept the candidate and are rejected, that means they've chose someone else other than your school. Hmm. And that's, that, that's just, that can say something about your reputation. It can say something else about the admissions office inability to close a candidate. And, and so that's a very closely watched metric by uh, leadership of the school. So it gets managed. Isn't that right, Maria? Absolutely. And and I think, you know, as Caroline said, I think sometimes candidates have a tendency to underestimate the intelligence of the file readers. I mean, these people are pretty astute, right? So if you if you write an essay that's like, I like the way that your business school schools, a schooling in business is why I want to go to your business school. And it's like, oh my gosh, like, okay, well, do you really love me? Right? Like you can't take, you can't, if you're dating two people and you take one of them to like a Michelin starred restaurant and you take the other one to like a Burger King off the interstate, you think the second person isn't going to think to themselves, hmm, maybe I'm not this person's first choice. I mean, it's pretty, these little, these little hints. And, and right now you're like, oh, that's an exaggerated Maria. Like I actually put the name of the school in my essay. So I don't make those mistakes, but little subtle clues like that can absolutely, can absolutely come across. Um, and I think, you know, to, to, in terms of yield and fit, uh, we were, as I, we were chatting right before we started recording this, um, I was, I was sharing an anecdote of how, uh, you know, after I do HBS mock interviews with folks, I just write little private notes to myself on like, what do I think their chances are, you know, just to see how good my spidey sense, how good my sixth sense is, um, on candidates. And there was one person that I wrote at the end, I wrote, I love this guy. The only way he's not getting in is if they figure GSB is taking him instead because he's <laughs> he's so good. He's definitely getting into GSB. And therefore, the only way he's not getting into in, in HBS is if they think. And sure enough, I got the email in at GSB rejected from HBS. And I'm not saying that that's the reason I'm not. But I was like, boom, I am sure that this person was so strong that they just they knew he was going to go someplace else. And so why why spend the effort and get your heart broken? If he's just not that into you, or you know that he's going to date someone else <laughs> and take them to the Michelin starred restaurant, why would you even bother with the Burger King date? Um, so I, I just, I just think that that's, I think that's a really big part of it. And in some cases, I think the schools are actually doing people a favor. Like this person, as much as I love HBS, this person is actually going to be. Stanford is going to be a much, much stronger program for them for very specific reasons that I won't get into. But so I'm like, you know what? I actually think they were pushing, they're pushing you in the right direction there. So yeah, I think that's part of it. And yeah, and at the end of it, some of it also just comes down to luck. I mean, let's be honest, it's an, it is not a quantifiable process. If the schools only had 20 candidates a year, you might say, wow, this is really shocking. But the schools have thousands of candidates a year. And in that pool of thousands of candidates, there are dozens, sometimes perhaps even hundreds of copycat resumes, right? There are only so many investment banking analysts they're only so right after a while, they all start to look pretty much the same. And at a certain point, I think you just have to say, well, we can only take one out of these three. So boom. And so it's not necessarily a, a rejection of you as a person. It's not necessarily that you were a bad candidate. I sometimes get emails of people saying, well, what went wrong? 
right? I'm on, especially, especially if they get on the wait list. I'm on the wait list. What do you think went wrong? And I'm like, nothing went wrong. If something had gone That's wrong, you would have been rejected. <laughs> yeah, like what the heck? So anyway, those are my thoughts on this. I will. Now, you know, let's face it. Admission officers also, also make mistakes, don't they? Not Caroline. Caroline did it. She was. No, I never did. Of course. When she was at Insead, Caroline. Caroline never made mistakes. Foolproof process. Yes, but ever since she left, I do have to say that perhaps a few admissions officers at other lesser schools have, perhaps from time to time, made mistakes. (laughs) It's it's not a scientific process, right? And there is, as Maria said, there's an element of luck. You know, you could be the. 55th file that the poor reader has has um, plowed through that day and and uh, you know they're not in a good mood and and you just get shunted aside in a way that you might not have if if you'd um, been top of the pile that morning so there there is certainly an element of luck and I and you know the the interviews also play an important role and that is, you, know, you, you don't have as much control over how that goes as you have over your written application, right? So you may have a good rapport with the interviewer or you may not. And again, you know, your interviewer may, may be having a bad day and, you know, that can influence the report that they give on you. So, so there's, you know, there's just a lot of variability. Or, or you could do what my husband did, which is tell his Kellogg interviewer that GSB was his, his uh, target <laughs> score. Oh my Wait, did he did he get in? Did he get into Kellogg? No, After so his interviewer apparently his jaw completely dropped. Couldn't quite believe what he'd said. I mean, poor guy, he's just very honest, right? He just, you know, he's very honest. And no, he got rejected. We got <laughs> of course he, he got did. rejected by Kellogg. Of course he did. So, so that's a good thing he actually got into Stanford because otherwise, <laughs> yikes! Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> So, wow. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do anyone listening, say. don't do that in your interview. Exactly. Yeah, don't <laughs> never. Oh my goodness, that that's uh, that was that was gutsy because obviously he didn't have his Stanford accept in his pocket yet. Yeah, I'm not sure he thought it through very carefully. <laughs> being brutally honest, which he 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 generally is. <laughs> That's oh my something goodness. that you know I've, I've learned to live with. <laughs> <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> uh, me too. I, I, that is a riot. Now, uh, at, this just tells me: look, it's really important to uh, apply to a range of schools, not just one or two, because any any kind of thing can, in fact, happen. I mean, you could get at the bottom of the pile, and you're the fifty fifth read of the, uh, the that a reader has and they're just not in a great mood and they've seen too many like you or you are naturally a better fit for another school given your uh, background and your uh, career aspirations so i think it's important to to let every school know they are your first choice number one and number two to apply to a number of schools just in case because in the event that you draw a bad straw, it might be very helpful to to have other options, right? Yes. And one more thing I would say, one thing that we were chatting about before was you had said that someone on the Reddit post had said, oh, I had totally, I nailed this one school's interview and I didn't get in. And the other interview, I was, I had a fever of 107 and I got in there and I don't understand. 
I, I find that candidates are often very bad at judging their own performance in the interview, not because of any lack of critical thinking on their part, but because in the interview, your adrenaline is going 100 miles an hour. And so your memory or your emotions are heightened. And I just feel that people walk out of interviews sometimes feeling like they nailed it. And sometimes or they walk out like, oh, she hated me. Um, and I just think there's just so much emotional variability. You know, Caroline pointed out that there's a lot of variability in what you will do in the interview, what kind of interviewer you will get. But I also think that sometimes, you know, my, my message here is do not read too much into the interview. I have so many people even like, oh, I just bombed it. And I'm like, don't you don't know that yet. You don't maybe they were being tough with you because they actually respect you like, you know, or my interview was too easy. That means like my interviewer was too hard on me. That means I bombed it. My interviewer was too easy on me. That means I bombed it. And I'm like, just don't, you know, or conversely, like I nailed it, man. I she loves me. And I'm like, oh, maybe not. So that's the other thing I would say is, is, you know, just do as best as you can in the interview. But please do not torture yourself over it or get too cocky. Yeah. So the general conclusion here is that admissions really isn't the crapshoot that it sometimes appears to be. It really can't, it isn't as arbitrary as it, seem, it can seem, right? Is that what the bottom line is? There is an element of luck, but, you know, you don't, as a candidate, you don't have the full picture, right? Because you don't, you know, you don't have access to the pool. You don't know who you're being compared to. You don't have the feedback that your interviewers have given. So, you know, even though you feel that, you have a strong sense of how things went and where you should get in and where your chances are are, are more, more tricky. Um, you know, you, you don't have that full picture that the admissions office has. So um, as you say, you know, you need to, you need to therefore hedge your bets. And, and that's a benefit that people like Caroline and I bring not to like, not to pat myself on the back publicly on this forum, but I mean, that's the part of the benefit of hiring someone with a lot of experience is that we do see, <laughs> like you might be like, I'm the only person out of my group of 10 friends who's applying to Booth and I'm the strongest out of all 10 of us. And it's like, yeah, but there's like thousands of other people. <laughs> so, you know, you, you start seeing pattern matching. So I think, you know, earlier before we started recording, John, when you were reading out some of these very flummoxing and confusing results, I think Caroline and I were like, well, but it could have been this or it could have been that. So I think it's a lot. Once you, once you start pattern matching, you start seeing that it's, it, there is an element of luck, absolutely, but it's not as random or crazy as I think it seems. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So 2021, I think pretty much all of us are kind of happy it's coming to a close, just as we were with 2020, given the lingering aspects of the pandemic and, and this new daunting variant that seems to be exploding around the world that's, that's leaving us, uh, you know, entering 2022 with tremendous amounts of uh, uncertainty and some anxiety. What do you, what do you, what do you think this past year for our, our business, the business of business schools, what has it been like? Caroline? Well, it, it's been as crazy than 2020, as you said. I mean, I do wonder how things are going to evolve over the next year. We say, oh, you know, glad this year's behind us. I wonder if we say the same thing at 12 months time. Right, we're not out of the woods yet. I mean, the, the good thing is that schools have learned to deal with the uncertainty. Um, and you know, whilst it was just an incredible scramble and you know a total nightmare for the administrations to deal with when things changed overnight in 2020, you know, things have continued to to change 
fairly rapidly this year, but the schools have just got much better and have, have developed systems for for um, being more flexible. Um, so that will be a great asset to the schools going forward because, you know, frankly, we don't know how things are going to evolve and when this will finish, if it ever does finish. So, you know, that that, that experience of, of juggling things and, and, you know, having the capability of, of just delivering so much more um, in a virtual format or in a blended format is, you know, a, a, a great, ability for the schools to have and and you know they they may well need to draw on that again in the future who knows how things are going to go yeah that's true I, and you're right I, I think that schools have more or less learned how to have in-person classes uh with a backup of hybrid models and ready to go if there is in fact a problem of any kind uh, and given all the testing and the vaccines, I mean, most schools have kind of learned to to live through it. Meantime, the demand for the degree seems to be holding strong. As we know, during the peak of the pandemic, applications exploded. Uh, they still seem to be very, very strong. And the quality of the entering classes uh, also remains very, very high. So it's not like it's... Uh, uh, you know, the degree is being viewed as less useful, less valuable. If anything, it's more valuable than ever. And the uh, compensation packages that have been reported by the schools for this past year are, in most cases, record record numbers of uh, uh, on, on pay as well as on sign-on bonus. In record placement rates, extremely high success rate on job offers and job acceptances uh, in many cases also at record levels. So, you know, on one level, I mean, the MBA seems alive and very, very well, even in the uncertainty of a time when the pandemic still lingers, when there's still a lot of test optional um, admissions processes going on, uh, and uh, the number of people taking the GMAT has declined significantly. Maria, what's your take on the year? You know, it's funny. I think this time last year, we were a bit more optimistic about 2021 than we are now at the end of 2021. You are so right. I there, was, there was news of like a vaccine was on the way. It was being tested. And I was like, hallelujah, this is, will all be behind us by May. And, you know, it's funny, I think I, I one of my favorite tweets that I saw during this past year was, guys, I'm starting to suspect that 2021 is just three 2020s in a trench coat. Right? <laughs> like, like we were to, oh, in 2020, we were like 2021, man, is going to be the year when everyone's going to get vaccinated. And so I just think, oh, my gosh, it's it's as Caroline was saying, things are still in the dumpster fire, but we've all gotten really good at adapting to the dumpster fire. <laughs> And so it's just, it's, it's, it's easier from that perspective. Like my son's school, they're like, yep, we had two COVID cases in the sixth grade. So we're shutting down for a week. And it was like, oh, well, like oh, no, virtual, virtual classes, like there was nobody bat and I, it was just like, oh yeah. Okay, fine. Clear the kitchen table. We've, we've been through the drill already for a year and a half. Um, and so I think the business schools are in the same, are in the same boat and as our students. So I don't know, man, I, this is ridiculous. This, <laughs> all the politics politicization. Wow, I can't speak. The whole fact that people don't believe in science is driving me crazy. Uh, that's really true. And, and you're right. I think uh, at the end of last year, we thought, oh boy, isn't this wonderful that it's come to an end? It's got to be better in 2022. And it was better in 2022. 
I, I think just the emergence of the Omicron variant in this last month uh, has led many to be much more wary than we were for most of the year. Uh, and concerning because, you know, at Cornell University completely shut down its campus, cases of COVID in the past. And, but even there, the, you know, there's a positive uh, sense of this because by all estimations, you know, the people who get COVID uh, more often than not get very moderate cases of it. Far fewer go to the hospital and far fewer die from it, uh, largely as a result of vaccines. Uh, it may be a different story for the unvaccinated, but we're not necessarily talking about them because most people on a uh, graduate business school campus are vaccinated for sure. Uh, and in fact, in many places, you cannot go if you're not vaccinated. So um, that's a bit of a different story. I think for the new year, we might wonder if the MBA will remain strong. My guess is that it will, uh, in part because the economy is continuing to recover and in part because there is a labor shortage worldwide that has led to these extremely high, uh, often record placement rates in the past year. There also is no uh, shortage of major challenges facing businesses all over the world whether it's global supply chain, whether it's uh, the, the uh, climate change concerns and how that's going to affect business in the future, both positive and negative, um, whether it's the need for analytical skills to better make use of massive sets of data for decision-making. All of these trends bode well for the value of the degree and the value of applicants and candidates uh, who are seeking uh, the degree. Do you all agree? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think applications will remain strong over the next year. I think, you know, as you said, the demand will will continue whilst there will continue also to be um you know new options that that increase and and gain market share. So you know masters in finance, masters in management, um, masters in data analytics online programs, I think all of those will, will continue to, to gain importance in the market. But certainly, I don't see much change over the next year in, in the demand for, um, you know, an MBA from, from one of the top business schools. Yep, totally. Maria, last words? I think that, if anything, a world full of constant volatility is just evidence that a general management education is more necessary than ever in order for you to be nimble, uh, to adapt to whatever the world throws at you. And so I continue to be optimistic about the fate of the degree, even if these other specialized master's programs do come out, even if some of them do cannibalize from the NBA, I don't necessarily think, I think that it, it's not going to take away from the MBA, I think it's just going to be a growing pie of people that will just be getting some form of management education, whether it be data analytics, marketing automation, you name it. Um, I don't. I, I, there may be some cannibalization, but I, I, I don't think that the MBA is is in trouble. Here, here, we are all unabashed advocates of the MBA for sure, and for very good reasons as well. Well, hey, it's been a wonderful year, despite the pandemic, and despite the fact that we haven't seen each other in person, but only on Zoom, and sometimes not even on Zoom, because my technical problems often require me to shut my camera off as I am off right now. But hey, it is what it is, right? So for all of you out there, 
And for Caroline and Marie, I wish you the best uh, over these holidays and a really wonderful and fulfilled and healthy and safe uh, new year. For all of you out there, I hope uh, the new year is a good one for you. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. You've been listening to Business Casual, our weekly podcast. <laughs>